1: Hello and welcome to the Mellow Compass podcast. We are the podcast that aims to educate our listeners on the variety of opportunities available in the music industry by really getting beneath what job titles actually mean. We do this through open, honest, and inspiring stories from our guests who share with us about their careers in music, what they do day to day, as well as any challenges they have overcome as a woman in music. Today we are joined by Silvia Montello, CEO of the Association of Electronic Music. Sylvia has worked in many corners of music, from labels to publishing, marketing and operation. Sylvia has a wealth of experience and knowledge of our industry and she has also been an active campaigner for women and diversity in the industry, which we dive into in our conversation. sylvia welcome to the mellow compass podcast we're so pleased to have you on the pod how are you today? How has everything been since your very exciting announcement of being CEO of Affen, the Association of Electronic Music?
2: I'm very well. I'm very excited for the new role. This is three weeks in now and it's uh, it's been amazing. Um, really loving it. Incredibly busy, which is what I love. So yes, it's all going very well. Thanks. Very well. And thank you very much for having me. Pleasure is all ours. So,
1: For listeners who are not too familiar with what AFM is as an organization, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what the organization is and why it exists? Who do you work with and why is it
2: such a passion for you? Okay, so um, it stands for Association for Electronic Music, and it is a global trade organization for the dance and electronic music industry. So we have been working for the last 10 years building a membership across all aspects of dance and electronic music, so from record labels and publishers to festivals, clubs, uh, talent agencies, bookers, basically um, any kind of sector within the music industry that is specifically involved with dance and electronic. Um, And the reason that we exist is so that we can represent the needs of our sector globally, so that we can connect members um, across the world, give them a voice and give them a way to, to come together collectively to discuss what the challenges are, what sort of initiatives we need to be putting in place to make sure that we can continue to sustain success for dance and electronic music and to grow that success as well. The reason it's such a passion for me is because dance and electronic music has just always been my personal passion since whenever I can remember. I've loved dancing to it. I've loved DJing it. I still, even at my grand old age, go clubbing and raving on a regular basis. I love dance music festivals and It's literally the the place that I feel at home and the community where um, it just really resonates with me. So, um, yeah, it's very, very exciting to have uh, joined this organisation. And I'm really hoping that um, I can use my energy to kind of push things forward for for the next 10 years and beyond.
1: And you've been involved with the organisation for a couple of years already. You've been a committee member. How did the opportunity of becoming CEO come about?
2: I you say I've been involved with a few of the working groups already so I originally joined through AWOL when I worked there and then I also joined as an individual member uh, due to our uh, small dance label Remarkable so I've had membership for a few years and really loved what AFEM had been doing. And then um, late last year, when it transpired that the current GM, Greg Marshall, was going to be um, stepping down to pursue other opportunities that he wanted to, I took the opportunity to just find out what the process would be for for finding a a replacement for Greg. And and there was an interview process. And luckily for me, I got chosen to, to do the job. So here I am.
1: It sounds quite unusual. Maybe it's not unusual because I haven't interviewed for any CEO positions, but is that sort of the usual process that you would expect to go through being in that senior leadership position?
2: sometimes yes and sometimes no. I think it depends on whether you're coming in from outside an organization. So although I was involved as a member I wasn't um, I wasn't on the executive board or part of the actual executive team running the organization. So from that perspective it did make sense to have a recognized interview process to mm. make sure that the the right person was selected. So um, in in other roles that I've done, internal promotions, don't necessarily have that same sort of rigorous uh, interview cadence to them. Sometimes it's, it's just more a sort of natural promotion through the ranks due to what people can see you've achieved and what you can bring to the next role. So, yeah, it really rather depends.
1: Much of what you're doing at AFEM involves um, neurodiversity, diversity, inclusion. You've been a very active campaigner for women in music for some time. Can you tell us a little bit about the survey that you currently have running on neurodiversity and what the ambitions are of this survey?
2: Yes, I'd love to talk about that. So um, neurodiversity is something that is now being sp- Spoken about a lot more in society and, and generally across the workplace and in industry, but we haven't had a specific survey to look at neurodiversity within the electronic and dance music sector. So this survey that we're running is going to be the first of its kind. We have seen some statistics around uh, the fact that potentially about 25% of CEOs have a neurodiverse condition Um, and we are still really at the the beginning of understanding just how neurodiversity affects people within the music industry and specifically within our sector. So um, everything from finding out from people that know they are neurodiverse to finding out from employers or colleagues who maybe aren't neurodiverse, um, what do they have put in place to try and support people to try and get the best out of the neurodivergent brain and to find out what kind of sectors that covers and really look at what the results tell us so that we can then help employers across the board to make sure that they're giving the right sort of work environments and have the right sort of understanding of how neurodiverse individuals differ, uh, which isn't just challenge. Um, I think there's a lot that's been spoken about. You know how difficult. People with neurodiversities may find certain tasks or or certain environments, but actually we also need to expand on what the benefits are and what some of the superpowers are that some people with neurodivergent conditions have. So it's really about getting the best out of people and and understanding the overall workforce better and how we can make sure that people thrive within Mm. our industry.
1: I love that you call them superpowers because they really are people's superpowers. You know, our differences are what make our strengths. And I know that you've also discovered recently that you have ADHD. And I'm interested to know, you know, how has that discovery really impacted your work? When you find out about these things, a lot of questions that you were wondering about, you know, why do I do this? Why do I do that? Why am I like that with different people? Why do I forget about
2: stuff, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's been a bit of a whirlwind discovery because, you know, even as recently as a year ago, if I was asked the question, do you think you have a neurodiversity condition, I would have said no. And, and that's coming from somebody that actually had read quite a lot about neurodiversity and was genuinely interested in neuroscience and interested in diversity in particular. But over the last few months, having seen more about ADHD, started to read about what the kind of symptoms were, what the signs were. It really resonated with me um, and so I decided to, to look at getting the diagnosis which came back positive positive. and for me and I, th- I know this isn't the same experience for everybody but for me it's been a really positively life-changing discovery because it's like a penny has dropped about so many of the little things or even some of the bigger things that I've found challenging but which I've had to pedal furiously to try and compensate for or to try and mask, or just to try and put in coping strategies for Um, and understanding that it's an actual neurological difference in my brain, rather than just me being a a mess or a disorganized person or somebody who forgets something the minute somebody asks them to do it, it really kind of leads to an understanding, uh, you know, an answer to the question of why And then also leading me to be able to read more about, well, what can I do to put things in place that can mitigate against the challenging parts, but really help to kind of super focus on the superpower parts. Now that I know I've got an ADHD brain, hand on heart, I wouldn't change it for the world because I think the the way that my brain works has brought a lot to my career and a lot to my life. It's just the negative sides that I now want to be able to deal with and understanding the diagnosis and being able to put things in place is now possible because I know what it is that I'm dealing with and I know how my brain's working. Mm. So it's been really positive for me. I know that for other people, the diagnosis can be a moment of grieving, really looking at, you know, why didn't I know this earlier? If I had known, then maybe I could have put things in place that would have changed the course of my life. It would have made certain things easier. It would have made relationships easier. It would have made the world at work easier. So I'm not saying that my experience mirrors everybody's, but I've, I've spoken to a number of women who have been diagnosed in later life. And a lot of us are finding there is a big positive side to this. And it feels like we can move on positively now with this new knowledge that we have.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important to point out as well, because, you know, when we find out these things, yes, we can always go, oh, why didn't I do that sooner? You know, it happens in other areas of life as well. But actually, that goes to show that if you do have an inkling that you might have, you know, ADHD or another kind of disorder, then it's so important to take those steps and go and get a diagnosis.
2: Yes, absolutely. And Unfortunately, especially with the pressures on the NHS and the health system at the moment, trying to get a diagnosis through the NHS channels, you'd need to be prepared to have quite a long wait, unfortunately. And this isn't putting any blame. it's um, The resources are stretched for people to get diagnosis about neurodiversities. So um, there is an option for those that want to go down that road and afford it to look at getting a private. Diagnosis that's not for everybody, it really depends to the extent that you think you may have the condition and that it may be impacting your life, your relationships, or your work. In my particular case, um. I decided that, you know, having an inkling that I had ADHD, I didn't want to have to wait on a waiting list for a year to find out for sure. That said, even before you have an official diagnosis, there's a lot of material, good quality material that you can read about. And if it really resonates and you think you have that condition, it doesn't necessarily do any harm to look at putting some of the coping strategies in place and following, you know, some of the the better websites to find out just things that you can do and strategies that you can find that will alleviate some of those challenges if you want to go down the medication route then obviously that's something where you would need the diagnosis to happen first but um, there are quite a few people now who are not self-diagnosing exactly but they are recognizing a neurodiversity in themselves and therefore following a particular path to try and help to support themselves with that even before they get officially diagnosed
1: and can you just give us a quick overview of what some of the
2: symptoms might be? for this type of neurodiverse condition? Uh, So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. What is called attention deficit, what that can actually mean is that we're just very easily distracted. So our brain mechanisms work in such a way that we can get easily distracted by something bright and shiny and new. We're constantly looking for stimulation. Our brains don't quite create as much dopamine as a neurotypical brain so we're always looking for those little dopamine hits and that means things like you know when you're trying to concentrate on a piece of work the temptation will be to look out the window at the squirrel or just uh, pick up your phone and have a look at your social media or put a tune on or have a piece of chocolate and you know it's just your brain is kind of flicking around from from one place to another quite quickly which can be amazing if you want to be creative and problem solve and think outside the box it's fantastic but if you're trying to focus on one thing especially something that might be quite boring then that's a real challenge because your brain just isn't really set up for being able to focus on the boring thing or get that piece of work done so that's a key thing and that's one of the, the reasons that I found um, I wanted to go down the roots of a diagnosis myself that was something that was really troubling me something else as well the hyperactivity part um, that doesn't necessarily manifest itself as much in women as in men um, or girls um, as in boys. So Boys with ADHD may be the ones that are tearing around the room at 100 miles an hour, throwing things around and just basically being disruptive. Girls are maybe more likely to be the ones that are looking out the window, twiddling their hair, looking like they're miles away, but probably actually just in another place, maybe dreaming of a story or just marvelling at how beautiful a flower is. Um, so there are different kind of behavioral types there as well and then there's the forgetting things so the, you know I can, I can joke about it now but um, literally my my husband will ask me to make a cup of tea and by the time I've got up off the sofa and walked to the kitchen and got there I'll probably have forgotten why I went into the kitchen in the first place and I'll come back with a biscuit for myself and he'll look at me sadly and then I'll go Oh, oh, sorry. And then have to go back. And that happens so regularly. And it's not something that we do intentionally. Our working memory bit doesn't function as well as other brains so things can very easily not be retained you know sort of immediate details like that and if somebody doesn't send you a calendar invite for a meeting or drinks or whatever if it's not written down if it's not in the diary it literally doesn't exist because your brain will just forget it Um, Mm. and again that can really upset people because they feel as though you don't care enough about them to remember the thing that you've arranged with them weeks ago but it's um it's not about that it's just literally the way that our brains work we have to write everything down um, so you'll find ADHD people will be relentless note takers in meetings and, you know, they, they will make endless lists. They will probably have a million different colour coded diaries and calendars. You know, they, they have to have these kind of organisational tools to keep on top of everything. Flip side is that we are brilliant at multitasking and we can actually spin lots of different plates at the same time because that's kind of how our brains are, are wired. Um, so, yeah, swings and roundabouts, um, challenges and positives. Championing your differences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the way that I, I think of it is um, sometimes if I'm if I'm out in an environment, I, I will pick up on things and see things that other people wouldn't see. Um, which if you're a creative person and, and, you know, in my case, it's things like photography that, you know, I can really focus in on something absolutely stunning just in the everyday that other people wouldn't pick up on. So I find a lot of beauty in that. The downside is that um, there are certain environments where there's so much stimulation that it becomes overwhelming until I realized I had ADHD. I had no idea why I could barely stand going into a supermarket it would literally make me have a panic attack.
3: Um,
2: And it's because those kinds of environments, there's so much stimulation. Everything's coming at you from so many different directions. There are rows and rows of different products, all that choice, all those people with their trolleys going in different directions and screaming kids and bright lights and probably music. It can get really, really unbearable. Mm. So um you know online shopping um, has been an absolute godsend because it just means that we can quietly find what we need and have it delivered to our door and not have to put ourselves into that kind of overwhelming environment and from a work perspective the same is true for open plan offices Um, this is Something that I really realised a few months ago, going back into working in an open plan office after COVID, it was almost like somebody kind of shouting in my ear constantly, because everybody else's conversations I could hear, there was drilling going on in the building. There was, there was music, there were lights, there was just people milling around. Everything was bombarding me and my brain and I needed to sit and concentrate on a piece of work and I just couldn't do it because I was so distracted and it actually got quite panicky after a while. And I think that's something that when employers realise that we are built to be able to do focus work in a quiet environment, so working from home or having a quiet room to be able to do that in, we can be amazing in, in the right environment. But put people with ADHD in a big, loud, massive, noisy, bright, cold office is really asking us to to do something that we find extraordinarily difficult. And um, you won't get your best work out of people with our brains if you're, you know, banging a square peg into a round hole, essentially. It's not that we don't like collaborating. It's not that we don't like having people around. But if, if we need to concentrate on something alone, and have that brain space, doing that in an open plan environment is very hard. Conversely, Meetings and collaborating with people and coming up with ideas and problem solving and thinking out the box are all things that we are really good at. Um, and those are the things that can be harnessed in the right kind of environment.
1: Honestly, it's fascinating. I feel like people are going to listen to this and go, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Like even some of the stuff that you've just said, I'm like, Maybe maybe
2: I have a couple of those symptoms, you know? I've spoken to so many people, especially adult women. Then when I start talking about the ADHD, they're like, hang on a minute, that sounds really familiar. Maybe I have it too. So, you know, I can offer to send some interesting links uh, you know talking about it some more or there are some online kind of questionnaires that you can do if if people are interested in finding out and you know the reason that i would say that is because i personally i don't see it as a disorder or a disability even though it's technically classed as a disability and it's technically classed as a mental disorder but I see it as a diversity and a difference Hmm. Um, and I've you know I embrace difference I think we all should you know all of us are built differently and that's where you can get all of those diverse opinions and all of those different ideas and bring them all together into something that's going to be much more powerful and vibrant and interesting than just a sort of cookie cutter approach of everybody having the same approach and the same way of thinking and the same brain so I definitely encourage people to Just think about, you know, whether it's themselves or whether it's people around them um, that they think, you know, why is it that that person acts like that or says these things or forgets things or whatever it is? You know, maybe they're not being rude. Maybe their brains just work differently. And that's that's okay.
0: You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com.
3: BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?
1: and knowing the qualities and the working environment and the values, etc. This sort of thing must be really useful when it comes to choosing a career path. And you've held several different roles in the music industry. Several of them have been very senior leadership positions as the one that you're in now. What would you say has driven these changes now that you know we've discovered ADHD and the different changes I imagine that is one part of it but having also worked in different areas of the music industry like marketing and operations and you've also worked on the label side and the publishing side what as a whole would you say drives your career?
2: I would say that I have a a very low boredom threshold, um, which, as it turns out, is another ADHD symptom. And that has actually always driven me to not settle once I've got to a point where I understand the job that I'm doing. I'm not one of these people that would be able to have a kind of stable 10, 10 years of doing the same kind of job and becoming an expert in it. Um, so I have always wanted to carry on learning and to carry on moving forward and that's the reason why I think I've also been driven to learn about a lot of the different verticals within the music industry. So working in a label, working in marketing, um, doing product management, um, learning more about the back end side of things, which in turn led me into the more operational side of the business. Then when I realised that I knew a lot about the recorded music side, but less about publishing, it drove me to want to learn more about that and operate within that. And then I wanted to learn more about the neighboring rights and performance broadcast area and then also about production music so for me it's you know wanting to be an all-rounder uh wanting to constantly give my brain new things to learn partly so that it doesn't become bored and frustrated but also partly just because i feel like learning is such an incredibly important thing it's you know your brain is the most wonderful muscle that you can possibly have so the more you exercise it the more you keep that brain and that muscle working and for me the happier I become if I'm constantly challenged and kind of thrown into things that aren't in my comfort zone that I have to learn and pick up quickly then that for me really really spurs me on also you know through leadership that I've been lucky enough to have you know in the last sort of four or five roles. My sort of understanding of how different people operate um, has also really driven me to want to learn how to be a really good People person and people manager. I think, you know, neurodiversity aside, even way before having any inkling about that, I did realize that the world is made of different people, whether you call them extroverts or introverts, whether you call them blue sky thinking or detail focused. You know, what you want ideally in a really good functioning team is to have a spread of those different people and those different talents, but also an understanding within those people of how each other operates. So for extroverts to understand that introverts don't want to be taken out of their shell, they actually want to have the sort of environment where they can just get their head down, focus on those minute details, do that job really well and quietly and not be shouting about their achievements from the rooftops. That, you know... People need to realise that other people are not like them and we need different support and different environments in order to be able to thrive at what we do and what we have to offer. For me, that's been one of the joys of of getting to work with really diverse sets of people is getting Mm. to understand that better and understand how to support it and, and how to bring in a humanity and a kindness into leadership that maybe wasn't around you know a few decades ago and still isn't around in some bigger organizations i don't think there's any need for it to be cutthroat and corporate i think you know we we can we can lead people especially in the creative industries with a lot more understanding and kindness and support and then they can really thrive and then everyone succeeds
1: yeah absolutely the music industry is very much a people industry. And so when you know how people work, the strength of your business contacts and how you go about your everyday just completely changes. You know, if you have those strong relationships, you know how to how to use them and how to develop people. And, you know, we talk a lot about mentoring and the importance of mentoring. And I think the creative industries has definitely been something that has been championing mentoring and support from others. As a woman in the music industry, you know, you've been working in the industry for for 30 odd years, Um, you know, the landscape and being a woman in music has definitely shifted in the last couple of years with the amount of initiatives and positive changes that have come about. We've got a long way to go, but you know, there have been some positive changes. Are there any challenges that you've overcome which you're particularly proud of, being a woman in music in, in those senior positions? Or even it doesn't even have to be a senior position. You know, it could be any time throughout your career when you've been faced with something that like, you know, why me?
2: Yes. I mean, I think um, earlier in my career, I wasn't really aware necessarily of um, the, the the different way in which younger women in the industry got treated to to men. So I just, you know, partly out of stubbornness, but also because I I was really determined that I wanted to stay in this industry and prove that I had a a place within it and could bring some value. I just kept going. I just grounded out and worked really long hours and in retrospect, put up with a lot of BS that I didn't even realise was specifically BS towards women and that things that men wouldn't necessarily have to experience. And then later on in my career, I started actually realising that uh, women, as, as they become more senior and as they, they get into managerial and leadership roles, we are often treated differently and not necessarily in a good way. A man who is forthright and ambitious is seen as forthright and ambitious and having leadership potential A woman who might express exactly the same thing as that man um, is known as being difficult or abrasive. It's this not-so-subtle difference in language and difference in approach. You know, somebody like me earlier in my career, and possibly even now, although I have tried to soften the edges slightly, you know, I probably would have been talked about behind my back as being a ball-breaker, being, oh, God, that woman, you know, she's always, you know banging on about this that and the other and if I had been a bloke then it would have been acceptable so that's one thing that you know I have been aware of but really you have to realize as well as a woman that in order to succeed and to carry on coming up through the ranks and being senior it's not about turning yourself into a man and and acting in the same way that men do it's actually just walking that fine line between having the confidence to know that you know what you're talking about, you have a valid point, and that you want to make positive change within an organisation, and not allowing yourself to feel undermined um, in situations where you may still be the only woman in the room. It's still relatively recently that I have been the only senior woman in an executive meeting or a board meeting. And it's relatively recently that I have been in a situation where I have suggested something within that context, um, and it's been ignored, and then one of the men in the room has basically regurgitated the same thing in slightly different wording, and everyone's gone, oh, that's a great idea. And I've kind of sat there thinking, um, hello, can anybody hear me? It's, you know, it's I, I'm, I'm not making it up. I can think right now of examples that would have happened six seven years when that happened and it was incredibly frustrating but you just need to rise above it you need to have a certain amount of tenacity it's easier now because there are more women coming through into senior positions um, and we have to keep that going Uh, we have to also make sure that that senior women don't drop out of the industry when they reach their 40s 50s 60s which was definitely something that happened when I was in my 20s and 30s the more senior respected female role models It was almost like they hit the magic number 50 and then suddenly they disappeared. Somehow they were let go, made redundant, sidelined, what have you. And that's a really, really bad thing because we need to have those sort of role models or just we need to have the familiarity for women coming into the industry that they can look up and still see female faces in board positions and in their later decades. Got about 50-50 people coming into the music industry, 50-50 split male-female but the older they get and the more senior they get, those numbers drop off and they drop off too much. That's something that we still need to really work on and be very mindful of. We've come a long way, but we're not there yet.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, when you talk about tenacity and rising above it, the importance of putting yourself in personal and professional development courses and training is more important than ever. Because I think when you do that sort of thing, you, you're you chipping away at at your at your leadership and what is inside of you and your potential and I think when you realize through you know either doing that sort of training or developing in your career that is actually something that can really put you ahead you know because you'll be putting yourselves in these positions in board meetings when you've got know 10 20 different people that you're presenting to and you know inside that you can do this so if anybody challenges you it doesn't matter because you have that self-belief
2: exactly and maintaining that self-belief is important i've had a career coach that i've worked with since 2010 and periodically throughout the years since that point, I go back to him when I need to just revisit something or regain some different kind of mechanisms to cope with those sorts of challenging situations. So, for example, every time I went into that board meeting when I was the only woman and I knew that I was going to feel undermined, I literally visualized putting on an Iron Man suit. I I would stop just before getting into the door and visualize me walking in there like Iron Man and having that protective kind of shield around me. And just, it sounds like such a strange little thing, but it just gave me that lift of confidence to think okay, if they're going to be throwing bullets, they're going to be bouncing off me Mm. um, and I'm going to be protected and I'm going to hold my ground. It's little things like that that, you know, having coaching tips can really help. Um, And having mentors as well, I wish that I'd had a a strong female mentor when I was younger, because um, there were so many situations where I was spiky, I got frustrated, you know, it's my personality, I suppose, and I'm Italian. So I'm quite, you know, I can get fiery (laughs) Italian, I can get frustrated (laughs) quite quickly. And I wish that I had somebody that I would have been able to bounce things off who would have said, okay, Sylvia, take a step back, take a breath think about approaching it this way. Think about whether actually all those frustrations that you're feeling are genuine ones or whether it's just your perception of how you're being treated or a perception of what's being said. It's so nuanced. And when you're younger and more headstrong and you're trying so hard to fight your way through and make a difference and you know find your place, it can be very easy not to see the wood from the trees, but if you get the right kind of advice, from somebody who gets your industry and gets you as a person. That can really help pull you back from making some kind of missteps or putting yourself in situations where it's going to be detrimental to you rather than beneficial. Mm -hmm. So yeah, coaching and mentoring I I really believe in. And um, you know, I've I've mentored people myself and I am now being mentored by an incredible woman who is just giving me tips every single time. It's just still life changing and career changing just to have that sort of advice from somebody. I can absolutely vouch for
1: that. All of the mentors and coaches that I've had in my time, honestly, they have really contributed to to where I'm at now. So on the topic of getting advice and support on areas in the music industry, I have to ask, because I'm sure there are going to be people listening, wondering about this. When it comes to pivoting into different areas, have you ever come up against any challenges when it comes to changing roles? Have most of your... Um, opportunities come through existing relationships have they come through applications or other different
2: ways most of them have come through applications uh, rather than existing relationships Um, and yes there have been some challenges if you want to move from one part of the industry to another or from one discipline within it The thing that is useful to think about is what are the transferable skills? I mean, an extreme example, I suppose, was when I decided to step out of the music industry for a few years and I wanted to go into the charity sector. All of my CV was music, 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 music. So in order to go and work for a charity, I basically had to step back, not think about the roles that I'd done, but think about the skill sets that I had developed and how those could manifest themselves positively within a charity and a non-profit environment so it's ways it's just a way of reframing from what you've done to what you've achieved what you've learnt, and what you're good at and if you can reframe that possibly you know if you're looking uh, for moving into a different sort of job area think about maybe even having two versions of a cv one which is much more your kind of traditional work experience kind of chronological but always make sure that within that you're not just describing what you did but you're actually describing what you achieved or what happened that you could attribute to your energy and and your skill set so have that version of a cv and then have a sort of elevator pitch version which is very much more this is what i can do and here's an example or two that proves what I can do in that particular area. So whether it's innovation, whether it's leadership, whether it's marketing skills, to actually describe what your key strengths are and then give examples of that. And then at the bottom of the CV, you can literally just list the jobs that you've done. Um, But it really just puts the focus onto you as a person with employable skills and strengths as opposed to somebody that's worked in all of these sectors. Because, you know, it, people are looking to hire. They do tend to want to look at a CV and think, okay, well, this person's done that before. So we know that they'll get it. So it can be difficult. You're going to have to go over and above to prove why you can pivot into something else. You know, I pivoted from marketing to operations. It was almost accidental, but um it was because i proved that as a marketing person i actually cared about the detail and i understood the the whole kind of supply chain process i wasn't just just on the creative side i understood the systems and process side as well so yeah I, th- those are a few bits of of advice that i would give to people it's possible but you just need to prove how that pivot's going to work and and why you're capable of doing it
1: yeah absolutely it's really knowing it's really knowing your strengths and and how you can use them to whatever the ambition is that you're trying to achieve. Final questions, you have a massive record collection. There is a huge library of vinyl sitting behind Sylvia as we're chatting. I mean, there are so many to choose from, but if you were to go for one,
2: what would be your go-to record of all time? So, despite being a huge drum and bass fan, uh, my go-to record of all time is actually techno record, and it is uh, Underworld's album Dubno bass with My Headman. It's just always been at the top of my albums list, and has some tracks in there which are just amongst my most favourite pieces of music I've ever heard. I can get into the zone of just really long, um, intricate, involved techno, um, and that's yeah, that's something that I feel very comfortable with. So that's always a go-to
1: love it and have you been to any techno nights recently
2: yes max cooper did an immersive audiovisual experience at the roundhouse a few weeks ago which was insanely good so yeah that was that was great the visuals were stunning and he kind of played across his musical catalogue thematically yeah it was just wonderfully life-affirming <laughs> I can just see you there right now <laughs> oh god about yeah, ba- up at the back bouncing up and down like an idiot um, especially when he actually <laughs> having the got, best time having the best time and then he dropped a few kind of drum and bass creations in at the end as well and it was just like all oh, my Christmas had come at once it was like this is everything I love <laughs> the best
1: and one thing for listeners to take away what one action would you encourage someone who is listening now who might be you know, feeling stuck in their career or wanting to move into the music business and they're doing something else at the moment. What one thing would you encourage them to do to further their career?
2: If you've got an idea of an area that you want to get into, research what it's really about and then try and reflect on how that reflects back on you and what you do and how you feel and what's important to you sometimes the idea of the music industry can be really appealing you have to find your place you have to find the bit of it that that actually resonates with you and the person that you are so you know if you're a quiet detail and data oriented person you probably don't want to look at PR and marketing roles or or kind of front-facing roles for example so explore what's actually out there and find the thing that kind of links in with where you are and and the the experience and the skills that you've got. And the closer the match, the more likely you are to succeed in, in actually moving into that area.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And just to add to that, I'd recommend looking at people's career paths and looking at where companies hire from, because there are companies such as PRS, for example, who do hire from non-music backgrounds. And I think Audio Network do as well, where you previously were. So it's very possible. Yeah.
2: Definitely. I mean, the music industry, like other industries, looks to other sectors for expertise. And especially in this world of data and analytics and you know, the finance and royalty side, for example, so, you know, those, those kind of more um, practical and operational sides, uh, they're always on the lookout for people that have transferable skills from other sectors. Again, you know, different, different thought processes and different brain experiences will always enrich the industry, even the music industry. So don't, you know, don't give up hope if you haven't got the music industry already on your CV. You can definitely come into it.
1: Love it. We've circled back to the beginning, talking about neurodiversity and diversity of thought.
2: What a brilliant point to end. It's a
1: pleasure. Thank you.
2: Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: This podcast is produced by the wonderful Rosie Bennett. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you over in the next episode.